It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 32 of Sports Day Plus. At 6.45, where are we at in society? The Tennessee Titans can truly go to hell with their uniform decision this weekend. At 6.15, it is the first of a two-segment chat with Sammy P, helping you DGens get ready for the football betting weekend. And a mere seconds, Longhorn Volleyball will be playing for another championship this weekend. And the NCAA is the dumpster fire that keeps on giving. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Congrats to Jarrett Elliott and the Texas Longhorns women's volleyball team for soundly defeating another number one seed last night in Tampa. That's where the Volleyball Final Four and Championship game is being held starting last night, carrying over into Sunday. And yes, the Longhorns will be playing on Sunday after really beating Wisconsin like a drum last night. I know Wisconsin won the second game of what turned out to be four sets, and they were in control for much of game two, but at that point... The Texas women, something clicked, and they got it going and really took it to Wisconsin after that. It was really never all that close in games three and four. Maddie Skinner, who has been excellent throughout the tournament, she wasn't good the first two games last night, the first two sets, if you will, but she, starting in game three and game four, turned back into that dominant force that we become accustomed to in this postseason. And Texas as a team, it just clicked. You saw Molly Phillips start to assert her will. I think she was really a catalyst in helping to get the rest of the team going. And the Longhorn women have a chance to go back-to-back, which is an extremely difficult thing to do. But this is what we've come to expect out of this program. And I'm going to be honest. The Texas volleyball team is my second favorite UT program to follow at this point. Yeah, it's easy to say because they won a national championship last year and they're back there this year and success helps, of course. It's just a fun sport to watch and it's a sport that is really exploding in popularity right now too. Where they played in Tampa last night, around 20,000 people. It was a sold-out crowd watching the earlier game and then the, uh, the later game between the Longhorns and Wisconsin. And sure enough, Texas was able to come out on top. Need to give a lot of love to Emma Halter, who is the libero for this Texas team. She was all over the place. I mean, digging balls left and right. She uh, really handled some hard shots because Wisconsin was a big team, and that was part of the problem for Skinner first couple of games. I mean, she was getting blocked pretty much every time she swung. I don't believe she had a single kill through the first two games before getting it going after that. Wisconsin was a big team. And they not only uh, put up a great block, number one in the NCAA this year in blocks, but they were crushing balls. And it led to them tying things up at a game apiece after game two. But Emma Halter and uh, Madison Skinner playing a little bit of back row also uh, had uh, had a lot to say a lot about that before it was all said and done. And so Texas will be playing 
for a back-to-back championship this Sunday afternoon. Big credit goes to Asia O'Neal also, of course. And for those who are unaware, you can check out the Longhorns' attempt to go back-to-back this Sunday at 2 o'clock. And this speaks to volleyball's increased popularity. That match is going to be on ABC. It's Texas against Nebraska. These two teams have become very familiar with one another over the years. Bit of a rivalry. Maybe carries over from Nebraska's Big 12 days. But yeah, Texas and Nebraska. With Nebraska obviously setting a an attendance record for women's sports. I believe it was in the preseason where they filled the football stadium and then some. And they obviously have a raucous crowd. It's going to be a well-attended event by both fan bases, and I'm excited to uh, to check things out on Sunday. Hope you are too. As far as the NCAA being the dumpster fire that keeps on giving. A few days ago, court ruled that the NCAA no longer had the authority to uphold its ability to force student-athletes who are transferring for a second or third time to sit out for a year before they become eligible at that new school. Court overturns that. The NCAA loses its authority for at least two weeks. It's going to be 14 days from a couple of days ago that there would be another ruling here. And in the meantime, it seemed like anybody who had transferred to a new school and was currently having to sit out would be able to play immediately and not get punished by the NCAA. Which I think is fair. If it has been ruled that they don't have the legal standing to keep a student-athlete from doing that. But the NCAA and its infinite wisdom came out yesterday and said, look, if you're a transfer and you try and play over these next two weeks, you could still face a penalty. And it's something that could carry on beyond what you initially thought it would. They published an eight-question document designed to help its membership in understanding issues stemming from Wednesday's decision. The fourth question asked whether the season of competition legislation applies to an athlete competing during the 14-day TRO. Quote, yes, the 14-day TRO only enjoined bylaw 14.5.5.1 and does not change the season of competition legislation. Now that next hearing is scheduled for December 27th to decide whether the restraining order that was put in place two days ago is still allowed. But this is just another step in the direction of the NCAA not having a legitimate say-so in the most important college sport, which is, of course, football. I mean, the NCAA, for a long time, has been recognized as being a little bit understaffed. Like You would assume that there were more people working for the NCAA considering how much control and say-so they have over college sports. That's just not the case. I feel like the NCAA's entire staff needs to be lawyers at this point with how much they are getting sued and how they're dealing with legal issue after legal issue, which I'm not showing any sort of pity here. This is their fault. It's their fault that they've been operating five-plus years behind the eight ball on a lot of different issues affecting college sports and not having the foresight to get out in front of certain things. And I know that Charlie Baker, the new president of the NCAA, is trying to do a better job of that now, but it does feel too little too late, at least as it pertains to college football. There's far too much at stake 
with college football now to entrust the NCAA to get its act together and to do so consistently. Saw an idea floated on Twitter. I think this was yesterday from John Rich, who is a part of Barstool Sports. How about this idea? Because I think that college football is headed in a direction where you will have a clear delineation between the top level, probably the SEC and Big Ten, and whatever that next level ends up being called, which likely will include the Big 12, ACC, whatever the hell the Pac-12 is now, and more. From John Rich, at John Rich TV, excuse me. What if Ohio State teamed up with a team like Bowling Green? Ohio State recruits football players out of high school, then sends them to Bowling Green for a year or two to get playing time. Once they're good enough, they transfer to Ohio State. It's like a college football farm system. Makes a lot of sense to me. There is a vast University of Texas system that the Longhorns could take advantage of if this is what it turned into. But is that a step too far? Turning it into a true-on minor league system for the NFL? At what point do you attach NFL teams to college teams? I don't know if we ever go that far, but hey. They take it here, then I think anything is possible. All right, coming up, we're going to continue the football conversation, but the on-field version of the football conversation with my friend Sam Paniotovich, a.k.a. Sammy P. He is one of the top sports handicappers around, does so for Nesson in Boston, FoxSports.com, the Chicken Dinner Podcast, and he joins this show every Friday during football season to get you DJs ready for the weekend games. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It is a Friday, just after 6.15 means it's time for my weekly chat with Sammy P, a.k.a. Sam Paniotovich. He is one of the top sports handicappers around. It's why he is the main guy at Nesson in Boston, contributes to FoxSports.com. As the Chicken Dinner Podcast, you can give him a follow on Twitter at SPShoot and hear him on this show during football season for a couple of segments, usually on Fridays. Sam, always a pleasure. How are we doing this week? We're doing good. I had one of your listeners actually reach out to me, and, and he said, I love when you and Trey talk, but he said, you got to ask him, why does he say Sammy P, a.k.a. Sam Paniatovich, and not the other way around? And I said, that's a very good question. I don't think I have that answer. Because you go by the moniker Sammy P, and so I say the <laughs> moniker first, and then I give people your real name, too. I know, but it's, I mean, technically, it probably should be the other way, right? Oh, I don't know. Is this a potato-potato discussion? I guess it actually is potato. Anybody who says potato is either British or a lunatic. So maybe I'll switch it up going forward. He is Sam oh, Paniotovich. Oh, no, you don't have to change anything. I just, I thought it was, I thought it was a very valid question that came from the right place. Do you, was it Mark Carmen who asked that question? Is that who asked that question? no, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but uh, no, you know what? Maybe I'll try the other way around. I guess you're right. Now that I think about it, this is this may be my uh, undiagnosed dyslexia coming into play where I thought it should be oh, Sammy P, geez. a.k.a. Oh, Sammy Paniotovich, but it should be Sam Paniotovich, <laughs> a.k.a. Sammy P. <laughs> I have you in a pretzel right now. I know. That's why we're going to uh, go even deeper uh, off, the, uh, off the ledge then, I guess, because... I just read a book this week and talked to the author, and the guy's name is Billy Walters. Do you know who Billy Walters is? 
Billy Walters is the greatest sports better of all time. Yes, he is. I don't know if you read the book or not. I had an hour and a half conversation with him earlier this week. It's going to play on the ESPN airwaves either next week or the week after. And we're actually going to get back together to specifically discuss the two ta- chapters on how he became so good at sports gambling. Um, so did you ever interact with Billy Walters when you were in Vegas? And if not, like, has he been any influence on your life? The way that he goes about sports gambling is fascinating. So I don't want to spoil your interview. Obviously, Billy uh, wasn't in Vegas for a little bit. Um, so when I was living there, I, I never got to meet him when I was working there. However, I was there in August when uh, they unveiled the Sports Gambling Hall of Fame at Circa, and I saw and got to meet Billy. He was the biggest star in a room full of stars. I mean, we had all these veteran bookmakers and betters and handicappers and all that, but Billy... I think it was said best by one of the Vegas bookmakers when Billy bet, when he came to you and either wanted to make a bet in person or he had one of his beards make a bet. And a beard is somebody who works for you and and is able to kind of hang around the casino until it's time to fire. When Billy or one of Billy's beards bet, everybody knew. And the line, you had to be ready because you had to move it ASAP. Because Billy, Billy would take a college basketball game, he would lay minus six. That line could could go to seven and a half or eight based on one bet, and that's that might not sound like a lot, but Trey, two points per play is insanity. So I, I think it was the fear of knowing that that Billy had something that you didn't, and he had guys in all these different cities dropping off newspapers. I mean, this is before the internet when Billy's in his prime, so he would have guys put newspapers on the trains that were coming to to Vegas. And he would have the D.C. paper, the Chicago paper, the Kansas City paper. So he was ahead of everybody. And then he had the information so he could make the proper bets. He was was way ahead of his time. And um, as I think he would probably tell you, you the the market has certainly caught up with the age of information. But, yeah, again, to reiterate, the most feared sports better of all time. And that's a good get by you. I can't can't wait to hear about it. And I can't wait to listen. Yeah, it's fascinating to hear him tell some of the stories in this book in his own words. Highly recommend the book. It's called Gambler Secrets from a Life at Risk. And he's not only somebody who is a renowned sports better, he really helped to turn Vegas into a, uh, a golf destination too, which is another interesting side note of his story. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about this though, Sam, is that in the two chapters where he talks about how he became successful at sports betting, he gives general rules, but then he provides specifics. And that includes a breakdown of all the different point totals that he gives to one team or the other when uh, his guys are handicapping games. And he has brilliant people from all over the world who are helping with his sports gambling formulas, or at least back in the day. And it's, it's everything from point totals to star players on teams to different conditions. A team that normally plays on grass is playing on turf. If you played on Monday night football to Thursday night football, and if you are a home or away team in those games versus being home or away the next week's game. I mean, it is crazy how in-depth all of that gets. So I guess my question for you based on that because they had they had a formula. It's not like they're they're figuring that each and every week. There's formula and you're plugging numbers and you're changing numbers. Like how in depth are you going when you're thinking about how you're handicapping things or how you're going to play things one way or the other? Whether you're talking about uh, just that very basic line or maybe something like the over under. It's a complex 
question. I, I wish we had more time, but to, to be quick with it, I think the, the biggest challenge with me over the last 10 years, because I've been, I've been gambling at a pretty decent level for the last 10 years, I've gotten better because I remove emotion, or at least try to remove emotion. Mm. You want to do two things as a sports better. You want to remove emotion, and you want to eliminate bad habits. The, the biggest obstacle for anybody listening to this, and I think a true degenerate would know this, the Hawaii game. The Hawaii game is the perfect example every college football season because if you're up a lot or down a lot, people get into the whiskey or get into their beer bottle and they go, oh, Hawaii's on tonight. And, and they will go into that Saturday not even giving a damn about Hawaii. They'll mm. make their three or four bets and then assess the situation later at night after a day full of football and then – Betting that Hawaii game is is not ever about numbers or about power ratings. It's about, oh, Hawaii's on. And, and when you can eliminate those habits and rely more on your numbers and the market, that is when you do get better. I don't think I've bet on – well, I, I bet a couple Hawaii games, but I used to bet every Hawaii game. Hmm. And it's, it's really the most important thing for anybody that's, that's putting their hard-earned money on the line is discipline. If you do not have discipline, you will not win. I don't care how good you are at college basketball or Major League Baseball or the National Hockey League. It's when you start betting stuff you don't know, and that's what the undisciplined better does. Very well said there. All right, let's get to uh, the college games that are a part of your money picks this weekend before we get to a pretty full NFL slate. And uh, we are going to start with UCLA, who is still coached by Chip Kelly. They are going to be playing a different quarterback uh, this weekend, and they face off with Boise State tomorrow for the start of bowl season. UCLA is uh, four-point favorites right now over Boise State. Why do you still like them, even though they're going to be breaking in a new QB against the Boise State team that won their conference this year? Well, we actually think that he's going to start Ethan Garbers, who was the uh, quarterback one coming into the season. Now, Garbers took a hit in the last game against Cal, and this is something we've actually been monitoring all week because Chip is sort of saying nothing. He, he said that you know Garbers is progressing. Um, obviously, Dante Moore is in the transfer portal. I mean, it, it could be one of four guys. I think it's going to be Garbers, though, given what I've been able to figure out and, and when you try and read this coach speak. So, in a perfect world, it's Garbers, who has a lot of experience in college football, against a true freshman third-string quarterback at Boise State named C.J. Tiller. Their starting quarterback, Taylor Green, transferred to Arkansas. Their backup, Maddox Madsen, is hurt. Not only, Trey, is Tiller a true freshman, he's never played a snap of college football. There's a serious edge, potentially, at quarterback. And, and you look at the line, you know, I laid four. There are some four-and-a-halves in the market. Circa is at five. Superbook is at five. So we've seen a little UCLA money the last couple of days, which would insinuate that it might be Garbers after all. Given the edge of quarterback that's perceived to be, and given UCLA's defense and its strength of schedule, I know Chip Kelly wanted to have a better season. But, man, how good was the frickin' Pac-12 this year? I mean, you got two teams that were, that were neck and neck, Oregon and Washington, all year. One of them's in the playoff. Mountain West is okay I just I, I think the edge at quarterback is too much to me and look UCLA could lose this game. it's a bowl game Let, let's throw that out there too these are bowl games a lot of crazy stuff happens but more times than not I think UCLA is going to cover the four 
and a sign of your true degeneracy, but also you being smart with the uh, games that you're choosing to bet, because this may fly under some people's radar, is uh, you have Montana in a pick right now over North Dakota State in the uh, the FCS playoff. Why, why do you like the Grizzlies as a pick over North Dakota State? So it's mostly one at a lot of places now. It, it has started to move. This game is tomorrow, FCS semis. Um, a couple things. Number one, first of all, I have Montana rated higher. I, I have Montana better by a point on a neutral, but this game is in Montana at Grizzly Stadium, and there should be at least a three-point edge. So I, I technically think Montana should be about a three- or a four-point favorite. You also consider this. North Dakota State's head coach is leaving for USC, and this news came out after they clinched a spot in the semis. It's a weird situation. So he's going to stay and coach them in these remaining games, but then he's going to leave. How much attention do you think he's paid this week? I'm going to promise you, Trey, he spent more time recruiting for USC, planning for North for, for Montana, for that matter. So roll all that together. ND State has been very good for the last decade, but this is also not an elite Bison team. So I, I'm taking Montana here. I think this line is a little too short. You're giving North Dakota State a lot of credit for what they've done and not what they are. And with their coach literally out the door and other players trying to figure out their next moves – it's going to be a weird mix this weekend. So I think Montana, minus all the distractions that North Dakota State has, I think Montana's a decent bet, and I love it at minus one. He is Sam Paniotovic, a.k.a. Sammy P., one of the top sports handicappers around, joins this show for a couple segments every Friday to get you ready for the football weekend. Coming up, we will talk NFL on the other side. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back for one more segment with Sam Paniatovich, a.k.a. Sammy P. He is the lead sports handicapper at Nesson in Boston, contributes to FoxSports.com, has the Chicken Dinner Podcast, and he joins this show for a couple of segments on Fridays to get you DGens ready for the football weekend. Give him a follow on Twitter at SP Shoots. All right, on the NFL side of things now, Sam, we are going to start with one of the two teams in this state because Cowboys Bills is one of your money picks this week. You actually like uh, Buffalo as two-point favorites right now. Maybe a surprising line to some, but when you understand some of the details about where these teams have been good this year and where one of the teams has been bad, perhaps it makes a little bit more sense. So why do you like Buffalo as two-point favorites? There's a lot of things to like about Buffalo in this spot, and, and it's not to take away from anything Dallas has done. I know people are, oh, this guy's picking against the Cowboys. Well, look, Buffalo's season is on the line here. You also think about the wind and the weather in this game. It's in Buffalo, outdoors. It's a dome team going outside with a heavy passing attack in rainy conditions with 20-mile-an-hour winds. That's, that's sort of a big deal, and I, I think Dak Prescott and Josh Allen are, are both very good quarterbacks, but Josh Allen is used to this, and Dak Prescott just isn't playing in Buffalo. And, and Buffalo is not an easy place to go. Also this, when a good team late in the season is an underdog, it's, it's usually not good in the regular season. These teams are like 38% against the spread when they have 9-10 wins and they go on the road and they're catching points because everybody says, well, wait a minute. Dallas is better. Dallas has a better record, yet this number opened Buffalo 1, and now it's 2, 2.5. Two 
I just I think the Bills are maddening in a lot of ways because they are one of the most talented teams in football, but they keep getting egg on their face. I mean, every loss they have is by one score. Six-point loss, five, four, six, two, three. I mean, and they've lost to some good teams like the Eagles and the Bengals with Joe Burrow. Buffalo with the urgency, the home field, the wind, and the need to win, I think are just too much to overcome here. Not to say Dallas can't make a run in the playoffs. I just think this is a bad spot for Dallas. It is a decent slate on Saturday. Now, you can argue that some of these matchups aren't all that compelling, even though they are involving teams that are above 500. It's a bunch of 7-6 and six teams playing with backup quarterbacks. But Broncos-Lions is a legitimately good game. That's Saturday at 7.15 Austin time. Uh, one of your money picks is the uh, over 48 for Detroit-Denver. Why do you like that, considering that uh, Jared Goff has been a little bit off these last few weeks? Well, let's think about where Jared Goff had to play and who he had to play against. I mean, they went into New Orleans and they had a 21-point lead on the Saints. And the Saints are a pretty good defense. It wasn't really like Jared Goff played bad in that one. And you and I talked about this last week, and I had you giggling when I told you, oh, Jared Goff in the cold, it's on my hand. Remember, like, <laughs> him in Chicago is a nightmare. Every time he goes to Chicago in December, it's bad. But a couple things here. They're back in the Dome at home where their offense has been cooking really all season. But also, Trey, their defense sucks. I mean, you look at the last five games the Lions have played. They have given up 38, 31, 29, 28, 28. And those aren't, like, really good offenses. That's the Chargers, the Bears, the Bears, the Packers, the Saints. They're just they're really bad in the secondary. And Russell Wilson has been a lot more efficient than people think. I just don't see stops in this game. I lean to Detroit, too, but I, I, I don't want to lay four and a half. So let's just go over 48. We're going to get points inside, perfect conditions, and two really efficient quarterbacks with, with a lot of skill and speed uh, to throw the ball to. So I'm over 40. Uh, you can get 47 and a half, but let's just call it over 48. That's a, that's the consensus number. All right, let's get to the other best game this weekend in the NFL. That would be Ravens at Jags on Sunday Night Football. Baltimore three and a half point favorites. Over under is forty two and a half. Do you like either of these numbers or anything else about this game? Haven't made a bet yet. I talked about this all week. I think this is the perfect line. You know, the look ahead number was Baltimore minus five. The number now is three. And uh, I'll tell you what, Trey. I mean, the one thing about me is I'm not going to just sit here and tell you to bet something that I don't like. I think this is the perfect line. Baltimore minus three on the road. That's exactly what I made it. And this total at like 42 and a half, it, it's a good number. Like, I don't feel like I have an edge either way. And I don't want to tell people to bet something that I don't like. So it's a pass for me. Should be a good game, though, with Jackson and Lawrence. How about the aforementioned Chicago Bears at Cleveland? I know Chicago's record is 5-8. and eight. That's partially the result of Justin Fields missing a couple of games with that thumb injury. They've been pretty good defensively, especially against the run. And when Fields has been in there, it looks like they're able to get some things going with the rapport that he has with DJ Moore. As long as the offensive line isn't too bad, they've been okay running the football this year too. The Browns, led by Joe Flacco currently, are in a good position to make the playoffs uh, come postseason time. Cleveland, three-point favorite, over under 38.5. Is there uh, something you like about this game? I think we all laughed when they brought in Joe Flacco in Cleveland, but they are throwing the ball more than they have ever under Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland. And 
you know, it's interesting because at Flacco's age, we think, oh, he can't move, you know, he's immobile, but he can read a defense. I mean, this is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. This is a guy who went in New England multiple times and beat the Patriots in the playoffs. He knows how to read safeties. He knows how to look off corners. He's, he's very good at making big throws. And they are essentially, the last few weeks, they are aerating the offense. So I think, you know, looking at the weather, it's not ideal. you got 19-mile-an-hour winds. I, I don't think it's going to be a game in the 40s, but I do like Cleveland's team a lot better. And, and the thing about Chicago is, and I've, I've picked Chicago the last two weeks, They've won two in a row. Now people are starting to say, oh, Chicago, you know, technically they could be the playoffs. And you're like, all right, cut the crap. They're not that good. They have a decent defense, but their offense leaves a lot to be desired. And I just, I don't like Chicago in the game. So if you made me pick it, like I have to make five a week in a contest, I would probably put Cleveland in my contest at minus three because this line two weeks ago, with Cleveland five five and a half, and the, the overreaction to Chicago's recent success is bringing down the line, and I, I can't bet Chicago at plus three. The Houston Texans were one of the surprise teams this season, uh, all the way up until a couple of weeks ago, and they've started to plummet back down to earth now as a result of injuries, unfortunately. Tank Dell out for the year now after an injury suffered a couple games ago. C.J. Stroud gets concussed in last weekend's game prior to an ugly blowout defeat at the hands of the New York Jets. And now they find themselves traveling to Tennessee to take on a Titans team that pulled off a pretty miraculous comeback on Monday Night Football a few uh, a few days ago, Titans are four points four point favorites here with David Davis Mills as the Texans starting quarterback. Um, uh, is this easy money for the Titans at this point? Just considering how much the Texans are reeling right now, including likely missing Nico Collins too. Easy money? No. I mean, I'm looking at the injury list, and we just saw some reports: C.J. Stroud out concussion, Nico Collins out with a calf. So you got, you know, Davis Mills without the two best receivers. I see Will Anderson's name is in red. We'll monitor that one. But you have a lot of heavy hitters dropping for this team. And, you know, injuries, you know, it's one thing to have a tank Dell out. But when you got Dell, Stroud, Collins, and maybe Anderson out, we're talking, what, four of the five best players on their team? Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's nothing against Houston and what Houston has done. And I think, you know, D'Amico Ryans has been one of the most impressive coaches all season long with where they were last year and where they are this year. I mean, he's, he's done everything right, but you know, injuries and father time are undefeated. And unfortunately it's a tough sled right now with all those guys out. That said though, man, I mean, laying four points with a rookie quarterback is just, it's a house of horror sometimes, you know, it's just like, it's like running with scissors and you're waiting because Will Levis, is liter- I watched the game on Monday. He was really good down the stretch. But he's he's like trying to tackle defensive linemen when he throws <laughs> interceptions, and he's trying to run over safeties. And he he's a hit away from being in the tent. So I, I, I just I, – let me put it this way. I think there are a lot better games to bet on. I don't like the injured Texans, but I also – I have no interest laying four with a rookie quarterback. What about Eagles Seahawks on Monday night? Both teams desperately need a win right now. I know Philly's sitting at ten and three, so it's not as dire for them. But things have been trending in the wrong direction for them for more than a month now. They obviously are on a two-game losing streak, having gotten embarrassed in both of those losses to the Forty ers 
and to the Cowboys, and it's so desperate that Jalen Hurts is having to practice falling while not fumbling the football. He is fourth in the NFL in turnovers this year. And the Seahawks, after being in an okay position, they did look like imposters a few weeks ago, and sure enough, they've come plummeting back down to earth now. Philly is a field goal favorite as it looks on uh, on ESPN, the over-under 47.5. Is there something you like about this game? I lean to Philly for sure, especially at three. I mean, it's three basically everywhere. Seattle is is good. It's a it's a home field that I think a lot of betters really respect, especially when you're catching points. But I mean, Philly has just Philly's played a lot of really good teams, and I don't want to knock Philly for you know losing to the Niners. Granted, that was a decision that I think was a little more lopsided than people thought. But are we really are we really you know, docking Philly for losing at Dallas? Are we, are we docking Philly for going into Kansas City and winning and going uh, up against a very good Bills team and winning that game in Philly? I mean, they've played Dallas, KC, Buffalo, San Francisco, Dallas, and went three and two. You would take that, right? I mean, that's a lot of people thought they were going to go two and three or one and four in that stretch. So I was impressed with how they played, and I still think Philly, with the vets, with the leadership, I love their offensive line. I think their secondary certainly uh, has some things to shore up, but Geno Smith in prime time doesn't really scare me, man. So I, I, I think laying three with the Eagles in a get-right spot, it feels like good medicine for me. He is Sam Paniatovich, a.k.a. Sammy P, lead sports handicapper at Nesson in Boston. Helps out at foxsports.com from time to time. Is on the Chicken Dinner podcast. That's the podcast that he hosts. Check him out on Twitter at SP Shoot. Hear him on this show every Friday, getting you DGens ready for the football weekend during the season. Sam, thank you as always for the time, my friend. Let's go, Montana. <laughs> All right, coming up, and where are we at in society? Boy, the Tennessee Titans can truly go to hell with their uniform decision in this weekend's game. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellen. Final segment of the show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism. As us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. But sadly, today... Is not that day. And before we get to some of today's planned stories for where are we at in society, I needed to take a minute to talk about an NFL matchup this weekend where I do care much less about the action on the field than I do the uniforms being worn by one of these teams. You see, the NFL relaxed its alternate uniform rules this year, allowing teams a chance to wear alternate uniforms on more than one occasion. And for the Tennessee Titans, the answer for what previous uniforms you should pull out and present to the people once again and have your team wear during a game or games is a uniform that makes me sick to my stomach to know that Tennessee is going to be wearing them this year. And that would be the uniforms of the Houston Oilers. Now, technically... The Titans did wear the Oilers uniforms after they left Houston for that one season in Nashville. But it ain't right, Tennessee, for you to wear uniforms 
of the Houston Oilers, much less to do so in a game where you're playing the Houston Texans. Quite honestly, it's despicable. And it's something that someone should have gotten to them. I know Bud is dead. Not going to say rest in peace. I hope he's resting in hell for the feelings that I feel about Bud Adams. Sorry, I do. He took my team away from the city that they belong in and moved them not quite halfway across the country. But it is still the Adams family that is running the Titans. Shame on them for what they're doing right now and how they are choosing to antagonize a city that supported them for a long time by having the Titans wear Houston Oilers uniforms. It's despicable. There's not, well, there's probably a person or two that wasted emotional capital on the Oilers back in the day in Nashville that are currently Titans fans. There aren't many, though. Those colors, those uniforms, that heartache, that emotional expenditure, it belongs to people in Houston. It belongs to the city of Houston. And so it is imperative Maybe it's not imperative. It's not all that important to people outside of Houston and some random sports talk show host in Austin. But I think it's important for the Titans to eventually do the right thing, and that is to give the rights and that history back to the city of Houston. I get that the Texans started from scratch, but this is less a franchise thing and more about a history that a city has with its pro sports team in a particular sport. There's a classy way to do it that involves the Texans getting control of that. That takes it out of the hands of a family that proved how little they cared about their team being in the city of Houston. And everything that surrounded them leaving at that time, including the city saying, no, we don't want to pay for a new stadium necessarily because of how you're choosing to run this organization. And oh, by the way, you're a billionaire. Build your own damn stadium. And it's going to be a shame to have to watch this game on Sunday for my family and friends who are true on Houstonites or Houston fans who have to suffer through this. On top of the fact that the Texans have come plummeting back down to earth as I talked about last segment. Felt good about the Texans maybe making the playoffs if everything remained fairly status quo. But in the last two weeks, they've lost their top two receivers. C.J. Stroud's in concussion protocol this week. He's out for this week's game. Davis Mills is going to be your starting quarterback on Sunday. Will Anderson is apparently hurt and likely to miss the game too. So it's setting up for the Titans to win this game, even though Tennessee's not very good this year. They may be riding on a bit of a high after uh, pulling off a pretty miraculous comeback on Monday Night Football a few days ago. But they can still be had as well. So for the sake of Houston getting a little bit of karma going their way, with just a, a ridiculous cheap shot being taken by the Adams with how they are choosing to wear the Oilers uniforms and who they're choosing to wear considering who they're playing against, It would be fitting if uh, Houston figured out a way to win this game. All right, moving on from football to baseball. It's not often we cover sports and where we're at in society, but uh, there are certain stories that require it today. The San Francisco Giants have been pushing hard to land free agents 
this Major League Baseball offseason. Unfortunately, hasn't been a whole lot that's come to fruition just yet. They made a big push for Shohei Otani. Shohei ultimately chose to sign with division rival, the LA Dodgers. And there are some former players who are now coming out talking about why this may be the case. For a long time, San Francisco, the Bay Area, they were considered destinations. Well, the San Francisco side of things. Oakland is where careers go to toil and young prospects go to be underpaid while also having really pretty advanced metrics. But as far as the Giants are concerned, they're striking out in ways that uh, is maybe a little bit confusing and frustrating to the fans, but former players may have a beat as to why this is the case. How about this from former star catcher Buster Posey, future Hall of Famer, number will eventually be retired by the Giants. He actually says that it's very simple. The perception of the city is playing a role in the team's failures to land a game-breaking star in free agency. Gave an interview to The Athletic where he said, quote, something I think is noteworthy, something that unfortunately keeps popping up from players and even the players' wives is there's a bit of uneasiness with the city itself. As far as the state of the city, with crime, with drugs. Whether that's all completely fair or not, perception is reality. It's a frustrating cycle, I think, and not just with baseball. Baseball is secondary to life and the important things in life. But as far as a free agent pursuit goes, I have seen that it does affect things. Now, Posey can say this is a guy who did spend his entire career with the Giants. Got World Series crowns in 2010 and 2012. Rookie in the year in 2010. He actually retired after 2021 and is now a part of the Giants ownership group. So he comes with this from a a position of caring. And maybe a cry for help from city officials who for far too long have let that city just fall into complete dilapidation. It's pathetic. San Francisco is a city I used to love. 2008 to 2010, I visited this city of San Francisco pretty frequently. I lived in Southern Oregon at the time, and it was a very cheap plane ride to get to San Francisco. Brother was working for a hotel chain at the time that got me really cheap rooms in good parts of town. But towards the end of that, you started to see things turn. And unfortunately, the city has been far too lenient on its homelessness issue for too long, basically taking a complete hands-off approach. And it has devolved into uh, some sort of third world dystopia, sadly. It doesn't mean there's not still money in San Francisco. There is, but the gap between rich and poor is vast. And crime is out of control. And let's not forget, this is one of the few cities that I know of that actually has a map online dedicated to warning people where the largest amount of human excrement is on city streets. That's how bad things are. And clearly that's not just me saying that or other people talking about it. And I know Ron DeSantis brought it up with Gavin Newsom and the debate they had a few weeks ago. What a bizarre debate that was. But it is Hall of Fame members of pro sports teams who have a vested interest in selling the city as part of the package to get a guy to come to play for the Giants or the 49ers or the Golden State Warriors or name the team. 
Buster Posey cares. Do city officials care? Probably not. Well, they'll care if a foreign dignitary comes into town, apparently. Not to get too political here, but all of a sudden the streets were clean as a whistle. A month or two ago when Chinese President Xi Jinping came into town. Gavin Newsom, who is still the governor of California, had a very smart-ass answer to that. Well, yeah, when company comes over, you make sure to clean up. Or you can choose to try and be a little bit cleaner at all times. For the health and safety of those who are residing in what has become a complete s-hole that is San Francisco. I don't even know what's happening in Oakland at this point. Even when San Francisco was good... Oakland was still one of those places that was cleaning up, a.k.a. gentrifying. I'm guessing Oakland has fallen back into complete disrepair considering that they can't even make that effort in San Francisco right now. Oakland would be smart to go the opposite direction, but I doubt that's happening. My guess is that Oakland is uh, following suit, or maybe they are leading the pack in that regard since they were already kind of there to begin with. And anybody who doesn't have screw you money who lives in San Francisco, probably lives more on the outskirts and not the city itself. A city that you are discouraged from having anything of remote value in your car at this point because there's a good chance it's going to get broken into. There are people who keep their car windows down at night because they don't have to replace a broken window and they're basically saying, I got nothing in the car. You can go through it if you want to. There is nothing. And that is it for another week's worth of Sports Day Plus. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back on Tuesday at 6 p.m. In the meantime, have a great football weekend. Go Longhorn Volleyball on Sunday and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.